0: Chapter 6, we're going to finish today. I titled this morning's message, Treasure, Choices, and the Cares of This Life. That's a long title, but there's a lot that we're going to be covering here this morning. We started chapter 6, if you remember, with three warnings. And each of those warnings that Jesus gave to his disciples that day, it had these two words— Do not. We see it in verse 1. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. In verse 8, he said it again. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. And then in verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites we learned that our flesh, I think in looking at all three of these warnings, our flesh is prone to these temptations of wanting to be seen by men, wanting to do our charitable deeds before others so that people will notice. We have to guard ourselves from those types of things. Today, though, we're going to look at Our treasure. The treasure that we possess, sometimes that treasure's here on earth, sometimes we're placing it in heaven. But along with that treasure comes choices choices that we make as believers uh, that have a real uh, uh, factor in what we do with our treasure or what our view is on treasures in this life or in the future life. We're also going to talk about the cares of this life, anxiety and worry. We have any of that here today? Anxiety, hopefully everyone's at peace. We're all just sitting here relaxed and you know confident in our Lord. But I can tell you that I believe that this area of anxiety and worry, it's one that we all contend with. And so the Lord will speak, I'm sure, to all of us this morning. Let's, uh, let's read our text, and we're going to read it straight through. I want to give you an aerial view. You know, the whole day of drones now and the aerial view and the Google Maps, and we all get on there and we want to kind of zero down and look at the whole aerial view before we get into the details and we kind of bring it up. That's what we'll do as we read through this. This is the aerial view, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. These first six verses are not three different subjects. I don't know if you saw the subjects that Jesus just brought out, but they're not three different ones. I believe that they are all three insights that will bring us into the right perspective, but also they will require us to make a choice. And that's what Jesus is bringing out to this multitude, his disciples in particular, but also to those that were listening in to Jesus' teaching. Jesus first, in these verses, gives us the right perspective about material things. In verses 19 to verse 24. So that we might live free of the bondage of worry in verses 25 to 34. Let's read the rest of this chapter. Look how it starts. Therefore, I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubic to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's our text. But within these 16 verses, Jesus is speaking to us this morning about having a right perspective. About treasures. It's also about these choices that we make in relationship to them. He tells us that our perspectives and our choices directly relate, I believe, to the anxieties and the worries that we have about the necessities of life. It directly relates to that. And and namely, Jesus brings out food and clothing in this text. We live in a world... That wants to keep us tethered to it. Do you know what tethering something down is? David would know with the plane. You know, you tie that plane down on the airport so it won't blow away in the high winds. And and that's what this world wants to do. It wants to keep the believers tethered down to it. And we're not to really be tethered to this earth. We're supposed to be heavenly minded and thinking uh, of heavenly things. And what everything that we do in this life, what it means in eternity. We live in this world that wants to pour us into a mold. It wants to to just dump us into a mold and make us follow its patterns and the way it does things. But we should be different as Christians. A key verse in these 16 verses It could be verse 21. It speaks of your treasure and where your heart dwells. Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The perspective for every individual Christian, I believe, should be this. Lord, all I am and all that I have, I want to use for your glory. It's it's all about you. It's all for your glory. Everything I have is yours. My life is yours. My money is yours. All that I have is yours, and I want to use it for your glory. That's a perspective that every Christian should have. Even our children are God's. Your job, your business, they're all the Lord's. It's all his. You see, it's all a matter of our perspective about the things that we have. We can't take and say, any of it's mine. It's all yours, Lord. I like what Warren Worsby wrote concerning this section, this first part of this section that I read. He says this, materialism will enslave the heart. It'll also enslave the mind and it will also enslave the will. We become shackled by the material things of life, but we ought to be liberated and controlled by the Spirit of God. If the heart loves material things and puts earthly gain above heavenly investments, then the result can only be a tragic loss. The treasures of earth may be used for God, but if we gather material things for ourselves we will lose them, and we will lose our hearts with them. Instead of spiritual enrichment, we will experience impoverishment. That's some pretty strong words. It's right to the point. But I think that that point being that materialism will enslave the heart, the mind, and the will. It's the world we live in. It's it's what the world's wanting to do with each one of us to pour us into its mold, to, to, to make us be those people that are more concerned about the material things in this life than the spiritual things that we should be pursuing. The first words that we see in this first section are the same words that we read in the previous 18 verses of this chapter. It's the words, do not. Look in your Bibles again at verse 19. We see Jesus saying once again, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. One commentator wrote, It's the only bank that's fully insured. Where we deposit our monies, where we put our investments, those things that are eternal, those things that we uh, hold as, as priority, those are the things in heaven. It's the only things that are fully insured. You see, every other material thing in this world, in this life, it's all up for corruption. It's all up for decay. It won't last. It's all someday going to come to nothing. He goes on in verse 21, and then he says, and this is that key verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can see from these three verses that it's heaven and earth that are both depositories. You see, as Christians, we have one of two places that we make our deposits. It's either in the things of this world or it's the things in heaven. Both places are places that can store treasure. Where we deposit our treasure, though, is a matter of our perspective. But it's also a matter of choice. We make choices of where we're going to make our deposits. Jesus calls Our deposits treasure in our text here. The word treasure denotes this. It's a place of safekeeping. Now, we know that even when you put your money in the bank, we're not even fully assured. Even though it says it's assured, we never know really what's going to happen with those things. Many people don't even put their money in the bank. They store it in the backyard in a tin can. You know, because they're unassured of the security of where they're put, or they, they, they hide their gold or their silver. They, they do things with their material wealth to, to preserve it, to keep it. But Jesus gives us three reasons why storing treasure on earth is not wise. You know what the three reasons are? It's moths, it's rust, and it's thieves. That's the three reasons that Jesus gave of why it's really an unwise thing to make your investments here, and I'll get into more of, of that hard attitude. Jesus says, "Moths," that moths destroy. Now, moths and the moth, the word moth here in Scripture is speaking about a cloth moth. A cloth moth, what's interesting, and I went on and, and was reading about this, I like to do these things. A cloth moth, actually when it makes its cast, which is where the larvae uh, grows in, the cast that is attached to your clothing, that is, it's able to make that cast match the color of your clothing. So that when you look at your clothing, you can't see it really on there. But when that larvae comes out of there and it begins to eat holes in your garments, that's when we notice it. Interesting how that, how that works. But, you know, we've all done that. I, 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 seriously, we have that. I've, I've held some things up recently. And you hold it up to the light and you go, oh, no. There's a bunch of holes in this thing. The moths have gotten into it. It's really the larvae. And they they go in there and they eat holes in our garments. Jesus used that as a a picture of something that's unwise to do with our treasures. Because it won't last. He also uses the word rust. Now we all know that rust, that it destroys things. But in the context, and the time that Jesus was speaking this to his disciples... Rust was probably not the huge issue that we would think of today. But the word rust, we know that it also destroys. Now, rust literally means this, something that eats or something that gnaws. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus is using this word rust, but in the disciples' mind, they might have been thinking of the diseases that attack their crops, their wheat, their grapes, those things that they were familiar with, that this eating or this gnawing or this rusting, as we would think of, that it attacks those things that were valuable to them. It was their food, wasn't it? Notice that we're talking about the moth, which is our clothing, and we're talking about the rust that could also entail even Food, The various granaries, uh, it it could have been the, the mold or the rats or mice or worms that would get into that. In other words, it would destroy that food supply. Jesus also said, though, where thieves break through or break in and they steal. Now, it was a common thing of the day like it is today to have robbers. And in Jesus' day, what was a common way that a person would break into an adobe home is that they would actually dig through the back wall or some portion they could actually dig through the side of that house go in there uh, unnoticed take what they want and go back out through the hole and so when you read in your authorized King James it says where thieves uh, dig through or break through and steal that's what it's talking about it was no problem for the disciples to have that picture in their head as Jesus talked about thieves breaking in and stealing Most of us know Deanna in our church here. I'm not going to put you on the spot too bad, but recently Deanna had some thieves break in and steal. She sent out a prayer request that night to our church, and this is part of what Deanna wrote. After the police left, I called Alvin... My knight in shining armor." No, she didn't say that. She didn't say that part. I called Alvin to pray for me and for those who broke in. She asked Alvin to pray for those that broke in, that they would be convic- excuse me, convicted. Obviously, they didn't get a ton of value of stuff. So instead of being angry, God gave me a peace. Actually, I felt bad for whoever did this as, they, as to why they did it. God is good. He can bring anyone to their knees. I pray for their salvation and conviction. You know what? Deanna that night, and I believe Alvin too, had a victory shout. There was a victory shout that went up that night because, you see, it's all about perspectives, It's all about the things that we claim to be ours and the things that we hold so dear to our heart that when those things are gone, one of two things, we either just go into full-on depression and anger and kill them, God, and go get, or, or we say, Lord, I pray for them. I pray for their salvation. That was a victory shout. I love it. And I believe that when we have material things in this life, we should hold on to them loosely. Lord, they're all yours. They actually just ripped off your house, God. They actually stole your things, God, out of my house. They were yours anyway. It's all a matter of perspective. You see, moths, they eat holes in our clothes. Rust eats away and corrodes our earthly treasures. And thieves break in and steal. And all three of these pictures, they they remind us that all of our earthly treasures are temporary. And and really none of them are secure. That is an eternal perspective that I believe we should all have. It would be interesting to know how much time and how much energy and money is spent just in protecting our stuff. It's, think of that. Uh, the, the investment that people put in to protect their things. It's mine. These are my things. And we hold so much value to them that when they're gone, it devastates our life. Here's another danger we often think that having more in life will ease our anxieties. We we think that if we could just double our paycheck. If I could just get a healthy raise, man, the worries are going to go away. I'll be all right, no more anxieties in life. But when we get that big raise, we often go out and get in debt more. Now we're living, now we need another raise. Now I'm worrying again. We might say to ourselves if we could only have our own house. Buy our house. Wouldn't it be great? No more worrying about rent and rent going up. And all. But, you know, if I could just get this house. And then when we get it, it starts breaking down. It needs repairs. It starts falling apart. And then we're worrying about how we're going to be able to keep up on it and fix it. You see the, the danger and the vicious cycle of having our hearts really set upon earthly possessions if we're holding loosely to these earthly treasures and we're seeking after heavenly treasures, that, I believe, is cultivating a heaven-focused heart. Think of that, a heaven-focused heart. Hey, what am, why am I here? What is this all about? Lord, help me to be heavenly-minded, heavenly-focused. Help my heart to be focused On the important things of life. Jesus concluded this first section in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The ancient Greek more literally says this. Do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. Notice verses 19 and 20 in your Bibles, that they're in the plural, that Jesus is speaking in the plural, but when he gets to verse 21, he changes it to the singular. He makes it personal towards them. For where your heart is, there or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse could be the principal verse for the whole of these 16 verses that we're reading this morning. But if you want to know where your heart is, you will find it in the place where you store the most valuable things in life. You say, where's my heart? Well, your heart is going to be where your valuable things are. What do you value the most in life? That's where your heart's at. And it's either here, placed on the things of this earth, or it's in the heaven, the things of heaven. Laying up treasure in heaven means cultivating a heaven-focused heart. It's having a right perspective about why we're here, where we're going. It has to do with also contentment contentment in life it's having an external perspective that's only done uh, is that only what is done for Christ will last the only things that are going to last for eternity are the things that are done for him the things that you in this life strive to do for Christ those are the going to be the lasting treasures that Jesus is speaking of here In other words, having less now might mean more gain in the future, in eternity. And so what drives you in life? Is it having it here and now, or is it in eternity? Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he says this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, there's those two things again, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to do many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil." For which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The whole issue of being discontent is not new just for our generation. There was discontentment then, there's discontentment today. But where much is given, and where we have much in in our lives and things that are it, it can it can brew about a discontentment when we see people that have more than we have. We, we can strive towards those things uh, because we, we're lusting after the things of others. Jesus says we need to be careful of that. We need to keep in mind, though, that treasures on earth speak more of the things that have our heart than it does the things that we possess. That's the balance. It's the things that have our hearts that Jesus is most concerned with. The material things that we have, because there's nothing wrong with having material things in in of itself. Material things are not the problem. It's where our heart is in relationship to them. I remember when we were preparing to go to Wales. And... We came to that place where we had a date set. We were going to be making our move. We had a home to sell. We had a whole house full of of stuff. And we realized, you know what? It's time that we had to get rid of stuff. We had to get rid of things. We had to sell this house that actually we really loved. Think of the home that you're in and how much you are blessed and love your home. But whose is it? Whose home is it? Is it mine or is it God's? And if God wants us to sell our home, then we sell our home. If we're going to lose money on selling our home, then so be it, God. It's your house. And all of the stuff that's in the house, it's all yours. You see, we came to that place where we had to make choices our perspective began to change. That home that we loved so much, it it wasn't that big of a deal anymore. When it really got down to it and we were putting it on the market, we were ready to go. It, It really wasn't that big. When we put all of our stuff out of the garage, and began to sell a lot of the things that we had and get rid of stuff. Do you know that it was actually a freeing thing? It was was actually freeing to get rid of some of those things in life. We were learning to hold loosely to those things in this world so that God could use us even in a greater way. We started seeing the privilege that was put before us. It wasn't what I had to give up. But God, what a privilege that you have put before me and my family to go into another country and to to share, share the God, to see it. It was all about perspective. You know, what's interesting is that when we arrived in Wales, our very first Sunday morning service, we just arrived we went to church that Sunday morning and Pastor John Vickery, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Cardiff, was teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. And he was in chapter 19 on that Sunday, the Sunday we arrived. And this is what he read that morning. Not for us, but this is what it spoke to us. And everyone who has left houses... Or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. That was the message on that morning. As I looked over at Kathy and just, you know, that verse just, Lord, that was for us. You just encouraged us with that. God fulfilled that promise. In that whole time that we were there, we didn't give up anything. We always got more back from the Lord than what we gave up. He proved himself that his promises are sure. Jesus goes on in verse 20, uh, in verse 22. Look in your Bibles. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This picture that we see here that the Lord is giving of a good eye and a bad eye is a way of giving a spiritual application. You can be blind you can be physically blind and this application still applies because we're not talking about literal seeing and vi- we're talking about a good eye and a bad eye in context if a man tries to divide his interests and tries to focus on both god and possessions he will be walking with no clear vision and living without any clear direction. This is, I believe, what Jesus is trying to point out, the good eye and the bad eye. It's about not having divided interests. Keep in mind that Jesus is not speaking here about physical illumination of the eye, but spiritual illumination. He's talking about light, and light coming to the soul. It will affect how you live. But when the light is darkness and a Christian is walking in complete lack of vision, Jesus says, how great is that darkness? You see, it has to do with our our spiritual condition. It has to do with our spiritual perspective about possessions in this life and what God is doing in those things. God, help me to grow in this area. That's what I could say to that. Help me to grow in my understanding in these areas. In the third section, verse 24, Jesus tells his disciples, and he's telling us this morning, you cannot serve God in riches. You can't serve both. That word cannot is a strong word. It means it's impossible to do both. You can't serve both, Jesus says. We might call this last section the climax of these verses. Jesus is saying we are either slaves to things or we're slaves to God. One of two places. We're either slave to the material things of this world or we're slaves to God. One or two places. And it's Impossible to be a slave of both. We can't be a slave of both things. Remember that when Jesus was saying this, slaves were owned and they were controlled by their master. These words would have been really clear in the disciples' mind eye. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about here. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve both. In verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for he either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now mammon is one of those words that most of us probably go, what's mammon? But mammon was a common Aramaic word for riches. Some think the name came from the Hebrew Hebrew, uh, word amen, which means to trust or to confide. Because men are apt to trust in riches. That's what God is saying here. We're we're prone to trust in riches more than we are to trust in God. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God in riches. You can't do both. Here again is a balance I believe to this uh, this whole thinking and and I think whenever you go down these roads of talking about material things in this life sometimes we get these things out of balance and people have done this but I believe that the balance to this is that it's not a sin to have money. Let's just make that clear. It's not a sin to have money, but it is a sin to serve or to be a slave of money. That's the difference. That's what our Lord is concerned about. Abraham had wealth. He was a man of great and had many, uh, by the standard of his day, he would have been a wealthy man. But he was a godly man. And God uses wealth even within this world to bless others. And so the wealth and the money and the possessions in themselves are not the sin. It's if it has, if it's, if it has our hearts. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The main point of verse 24 is that you can't serve both God and possessions. That's his point. These three sections that we just covered here lead us to the next half or the next portion of this chapter or the remainder of this chapter. But let me ask you all a question here this morning. Do any of you have any worries this morning? If you just started writing them down, what am I really worried about this morning? Some of us might not have enough paper with us. Some of us might just be sitting there thinking, I'm good. I don't really have a whole lot of anxiety upon me myself right now or worry. And that's great if you're in that place. But worry is a big issue. And number one, when we worry, we have anxiety. It's really the opposite of faith, isn't it? It's not trusting God. The dictionary defines worry as to torment oneself with or to suffer from disturbing thoughts or to fret about something. Any of you fretting about anything? Or do you have any torment going on in your mind because you're worrying about things? It's also defined this way, to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines it as to think about problems or fears, to feel or show fear and concern because you think, underline that, because you think that something bad has happened or could happen. It could happen. And I'm worried about that. It hasn't happened yet, but it's causing me to worry because it could Did you know that the things that people most often worry about are things that have not happened yet? That's the things that we most often worry about. It hasn't even happened. It could be a month from a year. It it hasn't even happened, and I'm already full of anxiety about it. Here's another defining uh, word to this. Uh, the old English and even the old German word uh, words that were used for worry meant this: to strangle or to choke. That makes it a little bit more uh, descriptive, doesn't it? When you think about worrying, to strangle or to choke. Let me start with a, a few of the observations that we're going to see in these uh, these next verses. Worry, the word worry is found six times in the remainder of this chapter. You see it in verse 25, verse 27, verse 28, verse 31, and verse 34 two times. So that tells me that worry is being zeroed in on here in these verses. We also see the word therefore, and therefore is always because of what was said before that, we see the word therefore three times in the remainder of this chapter. You see it in verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34. So what does Jesus give us in these verses as a remedy for worry? He gives it in, I believe, three sets of exhortations, and each one of those exhortations starts with a therefore, look uh, look in your uh, look in your Bibles. At uh, he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. It's those two things that Jesus is bringing up that could create worry, food and clothing. Now, all of what we just went through before verse 25 here, I believe, brings us to what we're talking about here in our perspective about material things in this life. The things that grab our hearts, the things that we put so much trust and confidence in, Jesus says those kinds of things will bring about a worriness in your life, anxiety in your life. The more you have, the more all these kinds of things, they create anxiety quite often in our life. When we start out in verse 25 with the word, therefore, it's because of what we just read before this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. That's what Jesus just is trying to get across. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's he's asking a question. Jesus brings this topic of worry down to those two things of food and clothing. Why? Why? Why 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 those two things isn't there a whole lot more that we would worry about than just food and clothing because these were the essentials of life and, and as i'm looking out of here even in the in the sanctuary i don't see anybody withering away from starvation i don't see anybody sitting there naked either we all have clothes we all have eaten i haven't eaten today but and i'm hungry but but anyway we we're not starving the lord has supplied but they are things because they are the essentials of life. We worry about them. Where's our next meal coming from? Obviously, our only worries are not related to just food and clothing. There's, lot, there, there's lots of other things for us to, to worry about. But I believe that Jesus, for his disciples and for these, he's bringing it down to these essentials, but it encompasses all the things that we could worry about and consume our minds with. I always mess around with my son-in-law, Kyle. They recently uh, sold their house. It sold in one day. They put it on the market. One day later, it sold they think oh now they're starting to worry here's my daughter here starting to worry you know about okay yeah we got to get out we got to go find a house, another house we only got 30 days to go find this other house so they go out and the next morning they go look at a house they make an offer on it they accept the offer and oh wow praise you lord you know for that 24 hours i was worrying and in anxiety what are we going to do if we don't find a a place to live and you know i called up my son-in-law kyle And I quite often do this to him. I told him, I told you so. I told you that God loves you and that he cares for you and he he breaks out. You know, the thing is, is that Kyle knows that. We all know that. God loves us. He cares for us. He is going to provide the house. He is going to bring the food. He is going to do these things. We all know that. So why do we worry? Why do we allow anxiety to overcome us? Instead of just saying, Lord, you're going to take care of it. That was Kathy's words to him. She'll take care of it. She'll take care of it. Or God will take care of it. Excuse me, not you. But Jesus goes on. Look in your Bibles at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Ask yourself that question. Are you more valuable than a sparrow in the eyes of God? If he takes care of the birds of the air, will he not take care of you? So why do we worry? Why the anxiety? The point is... Worry is futile. It's futile, isn't it? So, why do we engage in it? Why do we do it? It's a lack of faith, it's a lack of trust and confidence that God is able to provide the necessities of my life. Look at verse 28. So, why do you worry about clothing? He's asking a question. his disciples are why do you worry about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin and that toiling and spin speaks about they don't work these beautiful flowers they don't work and they also don't spin cloth for clothing they don't work and toil and everything all this beautiful creation of god and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That's how Jesus responded to his disciples, told them. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, where's the source of your provisions? What did it just tell us right there? Now if God so clothes the grass of the field. God's the provider, isn't he? Which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven or the furnace. Will he not much more clothe you? And then he says those words that we don't like to hear. O ye of little faith. When's the last time that you heard those words in your ear? O ye of little faith. God, I trusted you for this before and you came through. You proved yourself. And I'm going through something similar right now and I'm questioning you and I'm just doubting and where are you, God, and how are you going to take care of this one? And we're like that. Do you know that the only time that Jesus used these words, O ye of little faith, were with his disciples? He did it a few times. Remember when they were in the boat? Storms were crashing around, and he came to them in calmness. Oh, you have little faith. The, the Lord said, he didn't say you have no faith. He says your faith is little. If you could just grow your faith, if it could just get bigger, if you could believe me for bigger things, you wouldn't worry about your food and your clothing. You would know that I would take care of those things. What Jesus was doing here was he was giving them, I would call, a gentle rebuke. That's what, O ye of little faith, is a gentle rebuke from our Lord. I've heard it before, more than once. Here's another, therefore, verse 31. Here comes the logical understanding of Jesus' words. If he takes care of the lower order of creation, the flowers and, and, and all those things and the birds, how much more you? If he's taking care of those, how much more is he going to take care of you as his child? Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? It's a therefore again. He's 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 bringing this thing to a head. He's saying now, therefore, do not worry, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. You see, the Gentiles weren't seeking God. They weren't living for God, following or trusting in God. He says, "You're doing like the Gentiles do." but you have a heavenly father. Your heavenly father knows the things that you have need of even before you ask him. Then why do you worry? But then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. That speaks of priority, doesn't it? Priorities of life. But seek first the things of the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these other things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. Make it a priority. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of choices that we make. I'm going to choose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'm going to trust that God is going to add everything else unto me. The Christian who seeks first... Will eventually only be seeking the kingdom of God. If that is a priority in your life, eventually in time as you grow and mature, then everything about your life will become you know what? It's all about you, God. Everything that I'm about in life, what I do, how I go about my day, all my possessions, everything, it's all about you, God, it's all yours. And Lord, I just want to seek you and glorify you. And I want to store my treasures in heaven. Verse 34, and I believe this is the conclusion. It is to this message anyway. The conclusion to this. Jesus concludes this topic of worry with another therefore. Do you see it? Therefore... Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Within this one verse right here, he's bringing it down to this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Remember the things that we worry about. Most of the things that haven't even happened yet. Jesus is giving a simple and practical way for us to rise above our worries. This is how we can do it. Jesus finishes with reminding us that we should live one day at a time. There's no point or no benefit in anticipating the troubles that could come tomorrow. It's not going to help you. Trying to figure out, you know, what about, yeah, but tomorrow, yeah, yeah but not, there's, it, it's not going to help. Today's troubles are enough for today. That's the way we should live. And if most of our worrying is about things that are still future and we refuse to live in the tomorrow or the next week or the next year, then we will find, we're going to find victory over our worries. If we will live in that way, live for today. Don't live for tomorrow, next week, next year. Don't allow those things to consume your your thoughts. I want to close with just three comments that people have made about worry. One of them is by a commentator by the name of Henry Ironside. He said this, We would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontentment and dissatisfaction. Elizabeth George, you heard of her? The way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. How often do we just drop to our knees when we find ourselves in worry or do we run around just, God, I'm going to figure this thing out, I'm going to fix it. Quite often we run for that course. And lastly, Corey ten Boon. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. You see, our worrying it doesn't add anything. you can't add anything to your st- it doesn't do us any good. Our Lord is very gracious and merciful towards us. We're flesh. We're just flesh. We all have those times of worry and anxiety. And as long as you're in this flesh, that's not going to go away completely. But how do we have victory and rise above it? I think that's what Jesus says. Live for today. Just take one day on at a time. And trust me, and God, grow my faith. Grow me so that you won't have to give me that gentle rebuke, O ye of little faith that I'll actually rise above it and say, God, you know what? I can't figure this one out. I don't know how you're going to fix this, bring it about, Um, uh, you know, but God, I know you will. And I'm going to lift it up in prayer and I'm going to praise you in the midst of it. And I believe that you do that and you open your word and you just turn your thoughts and your energies towards God. God brings that perfect peace. And all of a sudden the calm comes and you go, okay, God, you're in control. That's what we want.